Welcome to the IFI podcast from the Irish Film Institute. I'm Stephen Boylan, and this is the final episode in our short season of IFI podcasts we're making available during the current COVID-19 outbreak. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Irish Film Institute, or on Twitter at IFI underscore dub. This week's show is a special edition focusing on this year's Oscar nominations, which were announced this past Monday. It has been an unprecedented year for the film industry, and not even cinema's most glamorous night has managed to escape. The 93rd Academy Awards will take place this year on April 25th, by far the latest in the modern era, and a full two months after its usual slot at the end of February. As was expected, streaming services have had a particularly strong year, with Netflix leading the charge, accumulating 35 nominations in total. Mank, David Fincher's black-and-white drama about Herman Mankiewicz's work on Citizen Kane, topped the table this year with 10 nominations, with a very democratic spread next, with 6 nominations apiece for The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Nomadland, Sound of Metal, and Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Joining me now to chat through the categories and look at the potential winners is Irish Times film critic Donald Clark and Avid Awards watcher David O'Callaghan. Donald, I'm going to come to you first and I'm going to go straight for the jugular. Would we be talking about these films in a regular awards year? Oh, um, well, it, we don't. it's hard to know what, what we'll be talking about instead of them. Let's put it that way. I mean, the number of films that were kicked back that were uh, marked, there were a number of films that were marked on as sort of the big blousy uh, awards movies that did get kicked away. West Side Story is one that springs to mind, the Steven Spielberg film. Um, I mean, Dune um, uh, is another one that, 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 that springs to mind. But then again, we, who knows about Dune? I mean, the last Blade Runner film that Denis Villeneuve made did actually win, sort of called Best Cinematography, but it wasn't really an awards player at the end of it all after getting enormous reviews. So I'm not entirely sure, actually, that we wouldn't be talking about um, uh, most of these films, simply because I, I don't really see where the competition would be coming from films that have been delayed. Um, something like The Father is, you know, a classic Oscar picture in so many ways. Mank. It's a classic Oscar picture in many ways. I mean, I wasn't that keen on it, but then there's been other David Fincher films I haven't liked that much that have figured with awards bodies. Nomadland was, you know, in the current climate of the Oscars, was always going to figure. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, when they were still kind of tied very in, very much into that out of Africa feeling, uh, lunging towards these sort of big historical, big dull historical epics, maybe Nomadland would have been would have found it hard to find its way in. But with the current electorate, which last year voted for Parasite and which voted for Moonlight a few years before that, I think No Man's Land was definitely a contender. Maybe something like Promising Young Woman, I would say, is a film that has profited greatly from COVID's arrangements. In that, I saw the Promising Woman in a regular press show in preparation for its release back in, well, it must have been a week or two before uh, lockdown, so just over a year ago. It was planned for release around about then, it got delayed, and I think as a result of that, it picked up a kind of buzz over the year, which was accelerated by certain unfortunate and, and predictable uh, stories about men abusing women, which kind of added to all that. I think that probably profited from uh, gathering momentum. Maybe Sound of Metal as well, which is a film that premiered at Toronto uh, in 2019? Yeah, 2019. Um, and was talked about 
you know, with some enthusiasm, and people highlighted the performances very much, but it wasn't a particular kind of off-the-charge buzz film in Toronto. I think that also probably profited from being given the chance to grow critical momentum before its eventual release. But I don't think, to go back to your original question, I don't actually think that the nominations would have been hugely different. And I think most of the films that we're talking about here would be in the discussion um, under if things had gone differently. And as we know, the Oscars don't happen in a vacuum. And, you know, every year, obviously, you have the Golden Globes, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, all the Guild Awards. Um, and they have been mostly useful for providing the template, except for BAFTA, which yeah. this year went in a completely and very refreshingly went in a very different direction. I agree with that. Yeah, I think I think it's a fascinating development um, that as listeners may be aware that they had a bad year last year in terms of diversity. Cynthia Revo, for example, wasn't nominated at BAFTA, who was a British actress of colour, wasn't nominated at BAFTA, but was nominated uh, for the Oscars. Uh, and so they introduced this new this new scheme where for certain of the high profile awards, most, most notably the acting awards, they brought in a jury of 12 people who it is believed are not, are not necessarily all BAFTA members, which is quite interesting. And I would say that's people are, I think it's reasonable for people to raise an eyebrow at that side of it. But whatever, the, those were brought in and they select the nominees for certain of these awards. And then we go back to the membership to vote in the awards themselves. That, is, that generated a staggeringly diverse uh, selection of nominees and also a selection of nominees that drew on some of the more interesting British films, which after all is what BAFTA is, about, is supposed to be for. Also, I mean, the main thing I, uh, that, that, I, that, I, uh, that made me happy about those nominations last week was that I can recall 20 years ago, more than that, BAFTA had an individual identity, not least because BAFTA came after the Oscars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in right about 2000, they moved the ceremony before the Oscars, and then it just became part of this this depressing parade of, of inverted commas, precursor awards for the Oscars. And people like myself, I'm guilty as much as anybody else, write about those awards principally as to how they are going to predict the Oscars. So it became lumped in with SAG and with the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, with the Golden Globes, all those things. It lost its identity. And along the way there, it. I mean, we're talking about a ceremony which is about a... a um, an awards body which uh, used to uh, regularly uh, give acting awards to to European and Asian actors, which used to nominate film, which nominate and award films from outside Britain and the United States. It then fell into the pattern of mm -hmm. only having conversations about the films that were ready in the conversation for Oscars. And interestingly, when the long lists came out, that still seemed to be the case. The long list very much hung around the films that we're discussing with the Oscars. To the extent that you ended up with this weird situation with the nom nominations last week, um, where Rocks, the uh, really impressive film about um, girls in inner city London, ended up with the most number of nominations, but it didn't get a best film nomination not least because it wasn't on the long list for best <laughs> film. Um, of, I think, 15, 20, whatever it was, it was not on the, on the 15 or 20 films listed um, on the long list for best film for BAFTA, but it got the most nominations, the nominations came out. We can safely assume, I think, that they would have nominated it if it had been on the long list, but they couldn't. Um, so it's a strange situation, but ultimately, to summarise, I'm in favour of it because, obviously, the diversity issues, but also because it, it gets BAFTA back its own identity which I think it has been missing for the last two decades. 
yeah, it's it's hugely important. And as you say, it's great to see films like His House and Rocks yeah. get get that little bit of profile because you know the last thing that Glenn Close needs, and we're going to talk about Glenn Close later on, is yet another nomination from BAFTA when it's actually a really good opportunity to to champion somebody else. David, uh, we're going to start digging into the individual categories now. And if ever there was a sign that it's not a normal year, you just have to look at the visual effects and the sound editing awards. There's no Marvel. There's no DC. There's no franchises. And I probably shouldn't admit this, but I actually had to Google two of the nominees for visual effects. So talk us through this year's nominees. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fascinating. There's no DC, Marvel. None of that. As I said, the dunes of this world would have been sitting in here, just running away with it. Yeah, I suppose the two you referred to is definitely one called Love and Monsters. Basically, monsters have taken over the world. And the main thing is the monsters are fantastic. Like, I am, I am a complete movie, horror movie um, of monster narrative, and it is a story of love set in the time of monsters. Um, it actually, is br- there are brilliant effects, but would have got in this year. Who knows? I think it's really good. And the other one is the one and only Ivan, which is a Disney Plus movie. Brilliant cast of Brian Cranston and the voices of Sam Rockwell and Angelina Jolie. That's one of those kind of talking animals, kind of sad um, movies, but you've also got in there Mulan uh, from Disney slash Us, which um, obviously has its issues as regards just being just an okay movie, but again, got caught up in the whole is it going to be released or not? And then the big Netflix Midnight Sky, George Clooney, um, which I actually really, really enjoyed, but very low key, would have got nominated. Like, usually, it does three people in this award or four max. So to me, Tennis is, which is the other nomination. It's just, just give them the Oscar. Just move on and just get over it. Even though that has many flaws, it's still a standout. I would absolutely jump for joy if Love and Monsters came in from the left and absolutely wiped it. But I think it's going to be Tennis. So yeah, it's just not a year where like Black Widow would have been in here. It's just, it just shows you. And as regards Donald's point of what has got nominated, what hasn't. This is definitely, these are, the, you know, the sound and visual effects are definitely categories that are missing blockbusters. And yeah, so Tenet is the runaway probably for this one, but that's all. Well, me, let's hope Love of Monsters sneaks in and shocks the world. <laughs> uh, Tenet obviously had a number of issues and it's perhaps not surprising to see that it's not featured in the sound mixing and editing category um, where you have Greyhound uh, which is the Tom Hanks film from Apple TV Plus uh, Mank, News of the World, Soul and then Sound of Metal um, I suppose this might be an opportunity for Greyhound and Apple TV Plus to, to, to grab an award but traditionally films about music have done very well in this category so maybe Sound of Metal is a, is a sneaky one here I think Sound of Metal is, is uh, for me, it would be, and again, I'd like to preempt, like, we've now got a month of, like, checking up on the horses before the race we on, and anything we say today will have totally flipped, depending on campaigns, but um, in the next month, and what awards, but Sound of Metal to me is, is probably the shoe in here, but Greyhound is a fantastic movie, stunningly done, and uh, yeah, sneaky, sneaky, but not so sneaky. Sneaky, but not so sneaky. So that's uh, visual effects and sound mixing. Donald, I'm going to come back to you now. International feature, and one of the categories we're going to talk about later on, kind of acts as a precursor for this, but a, a very strong category. Another round from Denmark, Better Days from Hong Kong, Collective from Romania, The Man Who Sold His Skin from Tunisia, and Quo Vadis Aida from Bosnia and Herzegovina. A lot of very strong festival hits in this. There are, but I think what's interesting about this, the discussions around this this year is how 
much less buzz has been around this this uh, this year, which I think is largely because of the fact that we have had a sort of subsonic festival scene in the last 12 months. I mean, there was one year quite recently, I think I'm not making this up, where four of the five films were Cannes premieres in Best International Film. You haven't had that this year. So it's been harder there's been less less attention gathering around these films in critical circles for that for that reason the one exception is another round i suppose which premiered at venice venice or toronto not toronto anyway i saw i saw it remotely on my couch <laughs> in inverted commas at toronto that's uh, from thomas winterberg which has also scored a best director nomination which is not hugely unusual for a foreign director mm-hmm. I and mean, that's the one category um Uh, of the Oscars, which has always acknowledged foreign language films outside, obviously, foreign language film itself. Better Days is probably the biggest surprise there, though there aren't enormous surprise, ever enormous surprises these days because you have a long list of 15 films, I think it was, going in. So a third of them are going to get in. So basically, there's no way on earth you're going to have enormous shocks when it comes to this. The interesting one to point up there, and this um, goes to a change in the rules that happened a few years ago, is Collective, which uh, I would suggest is my favorite of the films there astonishing film from romania um about the um investigations around um a fatal fire that um engulfed a club and killed 27 30 people or something uh and that has has scored an interesting double nomination which happened last year or the year before it was last year um for honeyland uh it has managed to score in best international feature film and also in best documentary which at one stage was impossible, <laughs> but this is now allowed. So that's an interesting double nomination for, for that. Though I think the big blousy, the big noisy um, film, which has a more mainstream appeal, is another round, and that's almost certainly going to win. Yeah. Um, a couple of films that were left off the shortlist, Two of Us from France, Dear Comrades from Russia, and The Mole Agent, which which scored somewhere else. Um, were there any other surprises for you there, or do you think that's kind of a very strong list refra- well, reflective? I think, I think because you have... You know, at, at that long list, there are never really enormous surprises here. Uh, I mean, of the, of the films on the long list, yeah, I would agree with you. The one that I that I like best of the, uh, the entire long list and was ultimately left out as it transpired was Tear Comrades, which I thought was a terrific film from the uh, incredibly prolific and um, long-serving uh, um, Andre uh, Konchalovsky, um, uh, who, <laughs> whenever people mention him, that they always they, they always get around quickly to the fact they directed Tango and Cash um, uh, <laughs> thirty years ago, but uh, but that was that was during a relatively brief um, sojourn in, in the United States. Um, that's a stunning film, yeah, and I, I, I it, it wasn't being mentioned as one of the most likely among the fifteen to score, which surprised me. Because anybody I know who's seen it, I thought, I thought it amazing. But sadly, yes, that was the one. That's the one that I would have most liked to see make it in. The Mole Agent again is in an in interesting position of competing as international feature and as documentary. It would have been remarkable for two films to be in both international feature film and yeah. best documentary. The Mole Agent is their best documentary, so I suppose we shouldn't be too surprised that one of those two got left out. Um, just looking, as you mentioned, we, we, we've mentioned a couple of the films for documentary feature. We've mentioned Collective and The Mole Agent. We also have Crip Camp, My Octopus Teacher, and uh, one that's been hoovering up a lot of awards is Time, uh, which is an Amazon production. Yeah, well, one thing I would say about, about the best documentary feature is it is incredibly strong long list this year. You look at the list of films on the long list, and it really is a stunning list of films. Somehow or other, and there's no, I think, 
there's no rational reason for this. It just ha happens to be how the cards fell this year. We're in a golden year for documentaries. The ones nominated, um, uh, we have Collective, which we've already talked about, Crip Camp, which is a film about uh, a camp for disabled people. The Mole Legend, which is an extraordinary kind of like sort of low-key spy film and just in, in a certain way. My Octopus Teacher, which maybe was... The surprise there is a Netflix film about a free diver who does indeed make friends with, friends with an octopus. It's um, <laughs> exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, and not at all a surprise, uh, Time, one of the um, films that uh, popped up on every second, you know, 10 best of the year from, from American critics in particular where it was released. Um, terrific film about um, uh, the partner of a man who has been arrested for... and given a 60-year prison uh, sentence in Louisiana for bank robbery and her attempts to um, to free him and to uh, and support him through all those years. But, I mean, that, but you know, th those are the ones that got in. I mean, yeah. left out was Gunda, which I thought was tremendous. Was my, I think it's my favourite film with the recent um, Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. Dick Johnson is Dead, which is a real cult. Um, has really taken off um, since uh, since its release um, last year. MLK FBI, which is maybe a more conventional old school documentary, but a fascinating documentary about the FBI's surveillance of Martin Luther King. The Truffle Hunters, which was a real sensation, a lovely film, uh, which is indeed about truffle hunters, when it landed. So, I, I mean, who could uh, have picked which of five from that list would would, would turn up on the uh, as eventual nominees it's a very competitive competitive competition it could have been a very competitive um list of 10 or even those even all 15 yeah what i what i noticed about the the documentary and uh, with particular reference to dick johnson is dead how some branches are very unsentimental let's let's say that in relation to the nominees in that Kristen johnson is a very well regarded very you know acclaimed documentary filmmaker and yet she hasn't made the yeah. long list where you look at certain performances that we'll come to later on in the actors branch and you just go there's there's different standards in relation to who gets nominated and who doesn't i think dick johnson is dead may also have suffered in that it is the least conventional amongst the documentaries um the other documentaries maybe the mole agent is a peculiar sort of hybrid as well it's almost a kind of hybrid experimental film in a documentary dick johnson is dead that may have put off certain more conservative um voters but that's true yes yeah i mean that um uh, uh, uh she is somebody who has been greatly respected in the industry and it was that would you would have thought have given her um uh, a leg up um in that particular competition david we're going to move on to uh, the music categories um two the first is the original score the five bloods mank minari news of the world and soul and I suppose what's notable is that two people who've become very prolific composers, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, are competing against themselves. Trent versus Trent, really, and um, Atticus, but Soul has got the hands-down um, win on this, as far as, you know, John Baptiste obviously included there. But it's, yeah, it's like Minari, like Mank, The Five Bloods, poor old The Five Bloods, this is really its only shot at, at glory. And as I said, poor James Newton Herod just keeps on chugging them out and now it's one of those news of the world the score you know normally a good score it's in your head this one i can't really remember so i'm not going to say it should win but um again as a scarred so score soul absolutely i think it's hands down going to win this one in song it gets very interesting um obviously you've got um speak now from one night in miami you got five for you from judas and back Messiah. you got hear my voice from chicago seven you know, who's a Vic? I know Stephen's very excited by the Eurovision Song Contest story of Fire Saga song, and then seeing from the life life ahead. Um, the one in this that kind of 
I suppose snub slash has me upset is I can't believe Janelle Monet. Maybe it's just my personal uh, turntables from All In and Five um, Democracy. I can't believe that didn't make it. But again, this could be. This is one that can go either way. I think at the moment, Speak Now um, is definitely the f- favourite. Um, scene or IOC, Diane Warren, again, another person who's been floating around trying to win an award for many a time. Um, that it, This is all about momentum and it could shift back towards that. So mm. original song, despite Jan- Royal Janelle not being there, at the moment I see Speak Now being the... Um, kind of stand out but it definitely has who knows who's if it could come from anywhere because uh, I just think this season of all seasons people have had too much time to themselves so they could get it could get really <laughs> interesting people have a lot of time to vote and figure it all out whereas before you normally they're running around doing stuff so I think as we get closer to the time I think shocks could happen but um, yeah some really interesting but so yeah interesting ones this year um, and as I was just saying there about Kristen Johnson, I mean, musicians are famously indifferent to people losing. Randy Newman won on his 16th nomination. So Diane Warren is on her 12th. So she still has a bit of time to go yet. And I think Th- Th- Thomas Newman has also racked up a huge amount of nominations and is still waiting for his first win. So, so yeah, I think, I think it could be an opportunity for the Academy to reward one night in Miami where it kind of might miss out on otherwise. But actually, as you said, you know, I am a bit of a Eurovision fan and Husevic did win a com- uh, composer's award recently for best song. So um, it could be a little bit of a dark horse, but I think... Yeah, one thing about Husevic is, is as far as I remember, well, maybe, is, isn't Husevic the only one that's actually in the film? Do you know what I mean? Somebody's... It's your whatever your opinion of an original song is. If it's at the end credits, I to me it doesn't count. <laughs> it always needs to be in the movie. But that's yeah. just me. Um, and on that basis, who's the picture with? Uh, Donald, we're gonna circle back to editing, and there was this old maxim knocking around that you can't win Best Picture without winning Best Editing, which hasn't been true for almost a decade because the last Best Picture winner to win Best Editing was Argo back yeah. in 2012. So here you have. The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And there's a couple of red flags in here, but for me, and I know you mentioned earlier on that you weren't a big fan of Mank, and similarly, I wasn't, that it doesn't get an editing nomination here, and neither does Minari. So what what, what can we read into that? Well, that's the interesting thing. Yeah, you, you mentioned, you're quite right about that uh, notion about, um, uh, about winning editing, not saying anything about your chances of winning best picture uh it's one of those uh, things where the film it's uh, the film with the most editing often tends to win so like you know the born one of the born films well i think maybe more than one of the born films won but it's interesting going back to look at the nominations is a different issue only one film in the last 30 years has won best picture without winning without, without an editing nomination and uh that film was bird well, it was birdman which of course famously is a pseudo one-shot film so in theory it has no editing in it in fact actually i thought whatever you think about the film i think the way that was that was ex- was not even considered for editing was a little unfair because quite clearly in some ways it's one of the most imaginative editing jobs you could be given as an editor to try to get the to being given these shots and fit them together into a pattern that makes it look as if it's one continuous take. But yeah, it certainly is the case that if you do, if you don't if you don't get an editing nomination, uh, it seems as if your chances are slim of winning at uh, Best Picture. Birdland's a special case. Let's eradicate that. 
we can put a 30 years on that for that. So yeah, so yeah, I think that's um that's a reasonable thing. Also, um another thing about Mank um talk about it also didn't get a writing nomination. Yeah, that's the other red flag. Yeah, which is d- really surprising given that there's a whole sentimental story behind this in that the, the screenplay was written by David Fincher's father, uh, who is now dead. Lay around, it was kind of a sentimental project for him to get this on screen, his father's beloved project, which didn't never made it on screen. So there's that as well. But of the nomina- of those that are, that are in, you've got interesting combinations that are often is in these situations of films that, you know, look as if, they have got in there because of the imagination of editing and films they've got in there because they just like the films. <laughs> so that's often the case. You have, instantly um, this year, unless I'm missing something, no, I'm not, um, five Best Picture nominees. Yes. That's reasonably unusual. There's generally always one or two films which sneaks in from outside, which is... Uh, particularly, which has got a lot of editing <laughs> uh, in it. Um, but this year, there are five best... five. Um, best picture so we can reasonably sort of say it's going to come from one of these five which is the best picture is going to come from one of these five which is not unreasonable i mean you look at that list i mean was the editing and promising young woman particularly interesting i think so i like the film but um i don't ever remember thinking that it's that, that it was a triumph of montage sound of metal yeah maybe um try to try to chicago seven that's kind of an unusual one again is that was it particularly was editing remarkable i don't know anyway i think that that is one of those ones that will probably end up going this year i think probably will end up going with best picture because you've got no real standout flashy editing editing in amongst those nominees i'm not saying that's how it should be just as best costumes shouldn't always go to the film set in the victorian era or the georgian era um i think the editing prize should more often go to work that doesn't show itself off last year for example it was ford versus ferrari i mean that's kind of a classic example of the kind of film that wins best editing um it's a you know a, a big flashy uh, motor racing picture has got lots of fast cuts. There's not really one of those here, so I would I would say that that's one this year. Unusually, I think if we're sitting around there, we can look at that as a possible pointer towards best picture um, when uh, the result is read out. So I suppose I mean I'm, I think it's most likely going to be Nomadland. Similarly, for cinematography, Nomadland has been picking up a few of the Guild Awards. Um, it's joined in the category uh, with Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, and Trial of the Chicago 7. So will this be a double for Nomadland, do you think? It's interesting. I mean, it's again, we're talking about film about an award that tends to go for the most of. I mean, the cinematographers themselves you know, are, will recognise films that have remarkable work in them that is not necessarily showy but when it comes to the voters that doesn't always tend to be the case um i think that's probably quite likely um they may want to favor manx nice monochrome cinematography is what it is it is powering ahead with a lot of the technical awards but again i would think is one of those films that might drift towards the best picture in this regard in this regard though having said that we've got out of the habit of sweeps yeah in the last yeah. 10 years so it's equally likely that there could be a totally oddball selection there but i mean i would think i i, I would think nomad nomad land's a decent sort of option there yeah and i was surprised given the, the buzz behind it and how beautiful a film it is that minari didn't figure there because i thought the cinematography on that was really beautiful yeah i think that probably that might harm its chances but i agree um uh, I, I thought it was beautifully shot and i and i would have liked it to have been there because again it wasn't a particularly showy uh, piece of camera work but i thought it was very beautiful and measured and i thought um complemented the drama beautifully 
Um, a few of the other guild awards, production design, makeup and hair and costumes. Ma Rainey's Block Bottom and Mank did very well there, picking up a nomination in all three. Emma, the period uh, comedy, got two nominations for costume and makeup design. And uh, somewhat surprisingly, so did Matteo Garoni's new version of Pinocchio, which picked up nominations in both costume and makeup. Uh, Donald, I want to move on to adapted screenplay. And there's an old maxim in screenwriting that says the more screenwriters that you have working on a film the worse it is and should Borat subsequent movie film win this there will be nine people taking to the stage to collect an award yeah well it, it won't so um, um, they, 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 they needn't worry too much about accommodate, accommodating them on whatever kind of virtual <laughs> scenario they've set up Except, I think also I think I say about this actually we'll talk we'll, we'll mention it again in a minute when we get around to best uh, supporting actress but I loved watching the set watching the announcement that they made them read out the, the entire name. title of the film twice as it transpired <laughs> so as you have not done they had to actually say Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for my benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan um, I don't think Borat subsequent movie film delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for my benefit once glorious <laughs> nation of Kazakhstan is going to win uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, not least because people are scratching their heads a little bit about to what extent it had a screenplay. Apparently it was, it, apparently these films are actually, to a large extent, written in inverted commas. Baron Cohen has, uh, has always said that. I mean, clearly the non-professional actors, um, uh, well, members of the public, let's be frank about it, um, who are blundering in there, don't have their lines written. But I think there's no way that a film that's an unconventional screenplay is, go is going to win. So I think it, that, that, that's, that, that will come down again to... Uh, One Night in Miami, I don't think it possibly win. I mean, it's, it's an adaptation of a not brilliant play, in my view, um, uh, and I don't think that much adaptation has gone 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 into it. Uh, White Tiger, I'd like to see that from uh, Ramin Barani. That was one of the surprises yesterday, uh, and for that reason, again, I think it's unlikely. So it seems to me that seems to me um, to be a two horse race between the father and Nomadland. Um, they liked the father more than people expected they would. It got nominated all over the place. So I think it has to be a contender uh, in that race. I suppose Nomadland is probably the favourite. We're saying that because, um, again, because um, it, it's, it's such a big favourite for Best Picture or Right, a notable favorite for best picture, yeah. but I think that I think Christopher Hampton could well sneak in there and Florian Zeller. I mean, I, I suppose I'm I'm in the same place as you. As I think it's between the father and Nomadland. I just wonder if the the feeling or the tone of Nomadland it has that very I don't want to say improvised, but a very off the cuff feeling that people might think, well, here's Christopher Hampton. It's you know he's a he's a writer. It's it's obviously a very constructed thing, much more yeah. so than Nomadland actually is. It's got re yes. It's we we'll go back to the, to the the refrain that we've um uh, where I've been kind of going back to throughout this conversation. It's got more writing in it <laughs> than Nomadland. Um, it's very consciously written. I think so. I mean, the, talking about this, we're kind of reminded. There's a. There's, I mean, Chloe Zhao is um. Uh, in a really interesting position here for a number of reasons if things really do go her way um, uh, she's the first woman to score four nominations in the same, uh, herself personally I mean yeah. um, uh, in the same ceremony which is, I mean I say first woman, there's not many men have done that I don't think, I mean only only a handful so you know she, she could win quite like um, Bong Joon-ho last year if things really go her way she could win well, she could oh, win four, yeah. but um, but I mean, she could win two or three, which would be remarkable. 
David, let's let's have a quick chat about original screenplay. Um, yeah. Because you have Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, this is kind of thought to be Sorkin's award, but I just wonder, could Emerald Fennell spring a surprise on this one? I definitely, I, I literally have it written in brackets here, Dark Horse. Yes, there is that whole kind of, oh, well, we give it to Aaron Sorkin, but I just think even as on, on, on the bigger picture, there's something about Promising Young Woman and about the, the buzz and the vibe, and they say it's all about timing and runs. I just think some people might say if Emerald gets this, then she's out of running for other things, but I just think because when you come down to marking your actual um, Oscar predictions on the final version, this is the one that's going to cause me most because I think Promising Young Woman at the moment does a bit of momentum, but I, at the moment, I'm going Aaron Sorkin. However, definitely, like it's a really, really strong category, but I definitely think Emerald Fennell has every opportunity to sneak in. And yeah, like the same way no, there's no mank here, who says Aaron Sorkin doesn't get doesn't get in there they may feel bad about other stuff they haven't given but um i would definitely be kind of it's a definitely 51 49 spread <laughs> so, yes yeah, so definitely um aaron sorkin at the moment but talk to me in a month and i'll completely flipped and emerald to be in front it's it's a category that often springs a surprise and unfortunately we didn't really ha- get it this year that an indie film if you like, or one of the more imaginative screenplays gets nominated. I'm thinking about films like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, or Palm Springs that just didn't make the breakthrough. And again, it's, it feels like it's circling around that same pool of 10 films. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's kind of, it is the same old, same old. And it is, in one way, it's a, it's a rare year where you're not really, except for one or two, you're not really giving out about all the, like, there's usually one or two in the nominations going, oh my God, what is that doing here? Um, <laughs> But this year definitely feels like, oh, they did a good job. Fair play. Like, there's obviously one or two they've left out. But in general, you're kind of going, yeah, I can see that. Because it, I think people have more time. They're seeing more things. I think the problem, just looking back on one of the other categories, on the father is that in a weird way, because the father isn't available streaming-wise to the world, where this is a weird year where you can literally now walk off and watch most things on the telly. Um, but they're on streamers or they're... You can, rent them out so the father weirdly at the moment is the only one that's not available to the, the bigger world um, and to people so that's interesting but um to me that's that's the thing that I, I go oh i've seen that i've seen that a lot of them i might have seen or um but definitely on this category and you know it's a very strong category but yeah it's no major upsets but yeah i said that sneaky kind of weird script isn't there this year. Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, there are actually plenty of films. I, I mean, I would slightly contradict that. that I, mean, that, that, I mean, it's, in a sense, reminded me of the Oscars 30, 40 years ago uh, from an Irish perspective. There are actually plenty of films that aren't available for us to see yet. The Father isn't available. I mean, of the best pictures. The Father isn't yeah. available yet to screen. Uh, Minari isn't available yet to screen. Nomadland isn't available yet to screen. Promising Young Woman isn't available. And Sound of Metal isn't yet available to screen. So I'd say... I wouldn't agree with that at all. I think one of the remarkable about this is, is that a lot of people in this country and the UK be looking at this list thinking, what are these films? <laughs> you have to go back to, I think, 1986 for the last time that uh, a, a Best Picture winner opened in the UK and Ireland after the ceremony, which was Platoon. Um, you go back to the 70s, that happened quite a lot. But I mean, it's... And I... 
I'm, I'm slightly irritated by this, actually, because I don't think this is, uh, there's any really good, real good reason for this, yeah. bar the fact that clearly a number of the distributors are hoping that they'll be able to get these films into cinemas first. I think that's the theory. But you've had a weird kind of um, mess around this. Um, Warners, I don't know quite what they're up to, but just 10 days ago, two weeks ago, they they announced that seven days later, Judas and the Black Messiah was going to um, screen on Premiere VOD. Nomadland, weirdly, is, uh, is opening for video on the week after the Oscars, on the 30th, or five days after the Oscars on the 30th, um, which is a strange one. You think that if they're, going to, if they're going to release that sort of area, they'd put it the week beforehand or whatever. Yeah. But certainly it's a weird one that this year that for certain people in this part of the world, we're looking at that and going, why, what are these films and why can't we see them? And, you know, if we, in the case of Judas and the Black Messiah, you can see it, but you've got to pay 18 euro to see it. That will go down, obviously. But currently you have to spend 18 euro to see it in this country. Mm. And I was listening to uh, something this morning that's saying that HBO Max, on the day of the Oscar nominations, Judas and the Black Messiah actually came off HBO Max in the US because they have a month-long release window. So, you know, it, which is which is really kind of counterintuitive. Obviously, from an iFi point of view, it's very frustrating that a film like Nomadland is going to a streaming service first. But I suppose at the same time, you can understand where the Oscars have been so traditionally a full stop at a film's cycle that they don't want to lose, if it does win Best Picture, they don't want to lose that momentum, I guess, yeah. after that. Donald, um, just off the top of your head, was there anything in original screenplay that you would have liked to have seen this year that, that didn't quite make it? Well, plenty, but there's no, there's really no point fussing about those things because, <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I agree that um, this year, I think they've actually done a better job than we might have feared. I think Dave was right about that. I looked on this and yeah, okay, fair enough. You know, there's one or two films I didn't like, but I sort of look and say, well, you know, that's my preference. I can see how that got in. Um, but there's always, you know, coming, I mean, every year in this situation that um, you look at the lists and you think there are, 10, 20 of my favourite films that aren't there and frankly never stood a chance of getting in. Actually, this is actually an adapted screenplay, but I mean, I, for example, um, was disappointed a little by um, the failure of I'm thinking of ending things oh, yeah. uh, to register anywhere. That would have been an adapted, not original screenplay, but I'd like to have seen, to have seen that in there. I mean, that reminds me, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you probably are familiar with the This Had Oscar Buzz um, podcast, which looks back over the history of um, Oscars and examines films that people thought were in the race, but ended up with uh, no nominations whatsoever. You, if you get one nomination, you're not considered. They don't, they don't let you in. So they talk about films um, like Mother by Darren Aronofsky. Um, but it's interesting, this year, this year, I think one of the ones that they'll probably come around to eventually is I'm thinking of ending things and the prime one look around to is probably Ammonite, I yeah. suspect, which interestingly was kind of on everyone's list not just before it opened, but even after it opened, it didn't go down brilliantly, but we're saying, oh yeah, but the two actors are probably in the mix. And by the time it came around to the nominations, people had totally forgotten about it. <laughs> Nobody was even saying, where is Ammonite? It was a goner. Completely fallen off the radar. And um, we're going to move up to the acting categories. And I want to start with the two actor categories first. And I suppose this is the one category this year where people are kind of shouting about category fraud, um, which I suppose for people who aren't regular awards followers is when somebody gets nominated for a category that they probably shouldn't be in. Um, in this case, we have what are essentially two leading actors for the same film, both nominated for supporting actor, and that's Daniel Kaluuya for um, Judas and the Black Messiah and his co-star, Lakeith Stanfield, Donald. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. 
uh, if you're if you're a nerd like we are about these things, um, because people often misunderstand how this works. That they have the notion that either the academy decides what category you go in, that they make a ruling, or they think that the studios make decide that they make a ruling. That's not what happens. It's actually the voters who decide which category it goes in. You can vote for Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya in whatever category you like. Well, you can't vote for them as best actress or best adapted screenplay, but you can, you can vote for them as supporting actor and actor as you like. What happens is that the distributors, the studio, decide which they will push in the relevant category, which um, uh, actor they will plant for your consideration ads for in which category. Now, every now and then, since this got going, the voters will turn around and say, nah, we're not going to do what you say. No, 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 it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, there have been situations when they should have done that. I mean, for example, Viola Davis, very deserving actress winner when she won for Fences. Clearly, she was co-lead um, with Denzel Washington in that film. But she won for Best Sporting Actress. They thought that was her best bet. They positioned her there. They were right. Now, the last time what happened yesterday happened uh, when the voters turned around and said, well, no, we're not having that, <clears throat> was Kate Winslet um, about uh, 10 or 12 years ago. When this, well, if you remember back then, she was competing for both um, Revolutionary Road yes. uh, and The Reader. And Harvey Weinstein, cough, 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 who he had, um, decided that, her, that she, he didn't want to compete against herself because not least because you cannot be nominated against yourself in any of the acting awards. I don't know why, but you can't in this category. So one would cancel out the other. So he decided that he would run her as best supporting actress for the reader, and then she would have a free run on best actress for Revolutionary Road. As it transpired, the voters turned around and said, don't be ridiculous, she's clearly the female lead in the reader, and they voted for her, and she got nominated, and she won for Best Actors here. Now, that's an odd situation in that that was voters quite correctly turning around and saying fraud was being vested on them. This is much more unusual in that here they decided, and there's some logic to this, that they would put Keith Stanfield, they would, they would, they would urge voters to vote for Keith Stanfield, and they would promote him for Best Actor. Um, and they would promote Daniel Kaluuya as Best Supporting Actor. As you were saying, they're clearly both lead actors. There's clearly, a, I mean, as the title itself suggests, Judas and the Black Messiah, one is Judas, one is a Black Messiah, they're co-leads. No one seems to be able to explain what happened yesterday, but for some reason, the voters turned around and said, no, 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 Keith Stanfield, he's not a Best Actor, he's Best Supporting Actor, despite what the Warners are urging us to do, and voted him into Best Supporting Actor. I can only assume that this is a result of them campaigning Kaluuya and Best Supporting Actor. They looked at that and thought, well, if he's a Supporting Actor, then Stanfield must be one as well, yeah. and voted for him. But anyway, long-winded um, uh, explanation. That is the great mystery here. All the awards predictors, Gold, <laughs> Derby, Gold Derby and all those were blindsided because they had Stanfield in their kind of top 10 or whatever of best actors. And the voters who, you know, there's thousands of them. It's not as if they all gotten, it's not like the Golden Globes. There's 90 of them. They all sat down and decided amongst themselves. They're genuinely independently decided. No, we fancy him as, as, as best supporting actor. The other four were, you know, fairly likely. Maybe Paul Ratsey for Sound of Metal was a was you know was was on the on the on the bubble, uh, and he became the surprise uh, entry there. So 
yeah, for for Oscar Boers, that's a really interesting one. Yeah, and I, I suppose what might be interesting as well is that when people were looking at their ballots, they had filled out their best actor, but they really wanted, they really liked Lakeith Stanfield, and they said, yeah. well, we can, so let's let's put him in there. Uh, David, I mean, Daniel Kluge has been been hoovering up steadily the, the Best Supporting Actor awards. I just wonder, I mean, this previously was his award to lose. Has Is there a fly in the ointment now, do you think? There, well, it is. Well, just on, on the on the, the how their boat ends up here, the other kind of idea is, Again, subconsciously, people thinking Chadwick is so a done deal. Maybe they went well. We don't want to put him in there because uh, the in there because he's no hope. Of it. So we're going to put him in supporting. So there may have been that kind of un- <laughs> boys in their heads going around. I'm going to move him into this because he's mm. a better chance. However, whether or not you believe in splitting the votes, we now a situation where. Disaster could happen, depending on your opinion of uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in Trudge Cat 7. But Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield could split votes. But I know there's systems and the way number twos and whatever. Um, but if that does go that way and people can't decide which they prefer and they do split the votes, Sasha Baron Cohen could sneak in the middle. And that's kind of freaking me out as a, as a obsessive predictor and trying to get as many correction ones as possible but there is that weird kind of dynamic that will happen that people will go but like Kalua was from yesterday before announcements it was absolutely just again given the Oscar now it's like would this cause trouble? <laughs> well, I suppose, and that's the dilemma that the studio have now, because this category was undoubtedly their best chance to win an Oscar. And that's the thing, is like previously, do they go hell for leather and just keep pushing Daniel Kluge out? Or do they have to kind of do, oh, well, it's, it has to be more measured now that we can't be seen to be pushing one person. But I mean, is the end goal winning an Oscar for the film or or where does that sit? Yeah, it's, it's, it's it is, it's again, and that's what we'll, and that's why I, I would again go back to the, even though, we in our heads have an idea of what's happening the next month a film you may have never heard of suddenly will start appearing everywhere if, you know an actor you've never and that's it's all about you'll see the trade presses from the US or anybody like ourselves who listens to American podcasts just back on the with regards to everything I probably listen to too many American podcasts and I'm like going oh that's out even though in my head it's not me really. uh, I'm just pretending it is um, but yeah I think it, it'll be interesting to see what they because I, I it would be a really bad idea for them to just back Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> it would not be a good idea. So they're going to have to equally push them both as much as possible, but that will detrimentally affect people's votes and probably split them. So um, it, it's one I'd watch, but I still would, like Daniel Kaluuya would be definitely the favourite thing. Yeah, and I mean, if he if he wins the Screen Actors Guild Award, that will give him that that might give him the the push that he needs. Yeah. Um, moving on then to Best Actor, we've we've mentioned a lot. Obviously, the late Chadwick Boseman um, is nominated for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for Best Actor. He's fourteen to one on with the bookies, so they don't really have any doubt on this one. It's interesting, Donald, given the conversation we had previously about the Baftas. Gary Oldman, who was left out of the Baftas, appears here on this list. We also have Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Um, Stephen Yoon for Minari, who again had a shout with Burning a couple of years ago, and that didn't that didn't quite work out. Um, but Anthony Hopkins is also nominated for the Father, and I thought he gave a beautiful performance in it. But it certainly looks like Chadwick, Chadwick is is home and hose on this one. It does. It's a delicate one to talk about because um, would Bozeman be you know home and safe if he'd not tragically died in August? I don't know. Certainly, well, put it this way. I, I mean, I think. Uh, we're getting back to category issues here as well. Bozeman is as much, to my mind, a supporting actor in Ma mm. Rainey's Black Bottom as Daniel Kaluuya is a lead 
in Judas and the Black Messiah. They positioned him in that in, in this race. I think as, it, as it, things have worked out, he probably would have won either because the weight of feeling behind him is so great. If he weren't there, I would say Hopkins would be 40 to 1 on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I mean, there's a sort of feeling that there's not a huge number of, of actors who've won uh, two Best Actor Oscars, but he's somebody to look at and they'd think, yeah, I mean, he, he's okay. <laughs> you know, if we go back and look at, if he, when he, he's one we, we wouldn't mind joining the list um, uh, of twofers. As it transpires, I think Bozeman uh, is dead cert. I think that um, sentimental weight behind him is such that there's any way he can lose and will thus become the first posthumous winner since Heath Ledger. Uh, in the acting awards, and only the third uh, posthumous winner, uh, Peter Finch, having won in the late 1970s um, for Network. Um, and I think, I mean, watching the chaotic Golden Globes uh, um, last week or two weeks ago, I mean, the most moving moment there was when his widow accepted the prize. It was um, incredibly moving and really pressed home what a great loss that is and uh, a terrible thing to happen to somebody so young and also reminded us how courageous he was in um, continuing to act after being diagnosed. So I think he's, he's probably safe there. In terms of the your point made about BAFTA, yeah, it's interesting that the <laughs> that that um, they pulled off quite a trick here, um, the Oscars, that they managed to nominate Gary Oldman uh, and nominate Carrie Mulligan, but they still managed to keep their awards um, healthily diverse. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as if, like, we then looked at the awards and said, oh, look, they put all the white people in at the expense of the black actors. Uh, nine people of colour amongst those um, acting nominees, which is a record, very impressive uh, um, in, in that regard. And I I think all there on merit. I think they're all performances people really liked. Um, and it's funny, we talked about category fraud, there was always that kind of whisper that Anthony Hopkins should really have won Best Supporting Actor for the Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're quite right. Alone, yeah. You're absolutely right, yeah. I mean, well, that's, I mean, that, I mean, yeah, it's all, we, we could sit here all day talking about the strange way that, that, that award works. I mean, it's like Marlon Brando and The Godfather is another kind of interesting example. Could you possibly have, have nominated Marlon Brando as a supporting actor for the Godfather, given that he's the Godfather, um, probably not. But he, nonetheless, he has many fewer lines than Al Pacino, who was nominated for Best Sporting <laughs> Actor um, that year. Um, you can understand in that circumstance why they why they 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 just felt they couldn't possibly put Brando at Best Sporting, <laughs> given the nature of the role. But it's a funny one, yeah. They're all. I mean, there's no set rule as to how that falls um as we say because the the voters can do whatever the hell they like um but certainly it's one of those ones you feel maybe someone should have a word with someone somewhere because it's a strangely erratic um the the decisions made around those um uh those categories are strangely erratic yeah um i hope you're sitting comfortably because we're going to talk about best supporting actress which is by far the most competitive of the the four acting categories it's a notable category for any number of reasons uh the first jodie foster who won the golden globe isn't nominated uh glenn close and olivia Coleman were nominated together a couple of years ago and we know how that went and glenn close is the first performer in almost 40 years to be nominated for both an oscar and a razzie for the same <laughs> performance but oh actually... the razzies are so tedious they, oh, they really are, are. Yeah. yeah but i mean yeah but, but yeah worth noting nonetheless <laughs> yeah and um, but where i do want to start donald is with maria baklava um, who is nominated for her performance in Borat's subsequent movie film. And she is... No, 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 go on, go on, go on. I'm not, I, I'm not letting you know for that. 
I don't I don't have it written down, so I can't do it. Um, and she's kind of been the breakout star of, of award season. And we know that the Oscars are traditionally very reticent sometimes to award comedy performances. And I'm just curious, from your point of view, of all the comedy performances that have been overlooked in the past, why is this one, the Maria Bakalova performance, the one that's getting all the traction? Why is this one that's not being overlooked? Well, I think it's there's a story behind it. That's, a, that's often a, um, a good reason why, why nominees succeed where you feel they might not have um, succeeded. Um, she's this you know, unknown actress from Bulgaria um, who was spotted by Baron Cohen, who's you know, no fool, and saw that she had, that she had the talent, and you know, takes over the film. I mean, uh, which is quite an achievement, given the fact that, you know, for all, uh, you know, not, not every Sasha Baron Cohen character has worked, but Borat is a tremendous creation. Um, he is like one of those great British comedy characters with Captain Mannering and, you know, um, Basil Fawlty and uh, David Brent. I mean, he's, he's right up there with those British comedy creations. So to hold your own against um, Cohen in a duel <laughs> at, uh, um, is quite an achievement. And the fact, again, that she, that she, comes from, that she came from nowhere as, you know, a, as a classically trained actress in her home country of Bulgaria was spotted and made this incredible transformation. And also, you know, in the interview, she's been quite charming. She was a quite a nice story there where she met up with the lady who I would say I would say played the babysitter, the lady who was the babysitter. Um, met up with her, and you know, and she has kind of made terms with the with the film after being a little bit upset about how she was essentially pranked. Um, and they got on. That was all about that. All that stuff is, I think, you know, that um, uh, a, a nice story, but. Having said all that, um, I don't know she's going to win. I don't. I mean, uh, as you were suggesting in your intro, what's exciting about this is I can see any of those five winning. Maybe not Amanda Seyfried. Maybe mm-hmm. she's the one that I, I would be surprised to see winning. Um, she was big favorite at the start, but that film, despite in most nominations, uh, oddly has kind of not registered uh, um, as, a, as the way that uh, we expected it might. So maybe she's the outsider, but I, wouldn't, I would still wouldn't be astonished if Cypher could win. Uh, Baklova from Borat's subsequent movie film delivery produced a bribe to American regime to make benefit once the <laughs> nation of Kazakhstan. Is for the reasons we just stated. <laughs> has, got, has got a great story behind her. Um, I think if I had to name a favourite, and you're going to make me do that, I'm sure, I think Yuan Yua Chung from Minari is, I think, a good bet um, for a favourite. Um, Paddy Power have Baklova favourite at 9-4. YJ, as apparently they call her on set, um, just behind at 5-2. to two. Um, So I think that's, you know, that uh, I think th- 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 both of those could win. Glenn Close could win. It's not inconceivable. I mean, she could join that long, long list. I believe she is now tied with, with, Peter with, with Peter O'Toole for most nominations without winning, though obviously one of those is pending, so that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a slightly dodgy statistic. I mean, there's a long, long list of people, you know, Al Pacino, Paul Newman, so forth, who have won, who have very distinguished careers and won for the wrong film, but this would really be the wrong film, yeah. <laughs> in my view. Um, <laughs> I, I not only, in my view, not only is it a bad film, I think it's a bad performance. I think it is, it's a, like a Saturday Night Live performance. Um, I didn't buy it for an instant. Um, uh, so that is, but it's possible they could. Uh, they, it could given, happen. Given the fact that the votes are going to be spread so much, it could be a relatively small number of votes to decide that. You know, this constituency is, you know, it is all over the place. Um, so it could go in any direction. Uh, Olivia Coleman was favourite earlier on. It is not unknown in supporting races for someone to to win twice in, in quick succession. Christoph Waltz 
uh, springs to mind, one in, in two or three years. Uh, Jason Robards Jr. won within two or three years of, of himself winning. So that does happen, may seem unlikely, although obviously she won Best Actress last time, but and that's certainly possible. Uh, so yes, I think almost anything could happen here. I would slightly favour um, YJ from um, Minari, but would not be astonished if anybody else won. Mildly surprised if, if Seyfried won, but not astonished if anybody else won. Yeah, Dave, what, what's your thoughts on this? My biggest fear, and it's the, that's what's going to happen, is the reason Glenn Close, there's only one reason why she's in here for an absolutely awful movie, an absolutely <laughs> awful act, like almost... If there was comedy, it's just where it should be in a bad way. Um, I think she's here for a reason to, <laughs> to win. <laughs> and I, I, all the others are brilliant. And there's definitely there's nothing worse than so bad. The fact that it got in means it must be. It has to be. So I'm going to say Glenn Close. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, funny, in a parallel universe, I was thinking that if there was an American version of Minari and Glenn Close was playing the role, that she'd probably win for that. Um, I do kind of think, I'm, and I kind of agree with Donald, I think this is going to be another one of those categories where you're going to see the spread, that this might be the one category where Minari picks up its award and it might be uh, for YJ, as as you call her. Um, I, th- I, I think, like, if, if Bacalova is going to win it's going to be purely on the back of that scene with Rudy Giuliani, that that's the one that's going to yeah. push her over because, you know, I mean, and, you know, fair play to her, that took a huge amount of, of chutzpah to, to pull that off. And I'm sure she was incredibly nervous because you get one shot at that and that's all you get. But, um, yeah, I just, I, the stress of Olivia Coleman winning over Glenn Close yet again, uh, I don't know, I just, I just, I'm not sure I could take it. But I, I think, yeah, I think the second favourite um, has a very, very good chance. As others have pointed out, it's in a way she'll be relieved or not that Jodie Foster isn't in the race because Jodie Foster has also beaten Glenn Close at the Oscars. <laughs> and so at least, she hasn't, at least she hasn't got two of her nemesis as nemesis. <laughs> the nemesis, the plural nemesis, whatever. She hasn't got, she hasn't got two of her nemesis as ne- or nemesis at, um, yeah. in the same race. Um, well, as time goes on, the number of people who have beaten Glenn Close in an Oscar race will be <laughs> getting ever larger. We'll, we'll have a chat now about Best Actress. Um, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andrew Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Kerry Mulligan, Kerry Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Donald, I suppose initially, Vanessa Kirby won the Best Actress Prize at Venice for Pieces of a Woman, and she was kind of the initial talk about who would be a yeah. frontrunner, but that's kind of fallen away, and it feels now very much uh, like a three-horse race now uh, between Andrew Day, Frances McDormand, and Kerry Mulligan. Uh, yes, I think that's I think that's probably right. Interesting one that in terms of our, our predictions in that I would should say you know I made predictions at the weekend and almost I think on all the acting ones correct um, with the exception of um, of Lakeith Stanfield. So it's, it's it's interesting how even in this unusual year that um, uh, that things fall pretty much as that you'd expect. Uh, until two weeks ago, I think people felt that Mulligan, McDormand and Davis were absolute dead certs. Kirby was kind of safe. And there was a fifth place, yeah. which could have gone in all kinds of directions. Once Andra Day won the Golden Globe, um, I think, even I mean, look, you know, we all say the Golden Globe was a, a, only a, a, a loose connection to the Oscars, despite the fact the HFPA really wants to be the prime predictor. But I think once she won, um, uh, I, I think that... And it was... It wasn't a case like Jodie Foster, where you had a performance that people didn't hadn't really recognised, but sort of felt that okay, we all like we all like Jodie Foster, more power to him. 
Andrew Day had got terrific reviews in a film that did not itself get terrific reviews. Mm -hmm. She was already kind of being noticed as like, boy, this is some performance. Even if we don't like the film very much, this is some performance. So I think that that pushed her into a situation where I think she was um, then became reasonably safe fifth nominee. Uh, and so it transpired. Um, going back to the BAFTAs, um, throwing around more sort of, you know, interesting trivia here. Carrie Mulligan is, Carrie Mulligan is currently the favourite. Um, uh, again, interesting story there, which was what we started off with, I think, talking about that that was one of the films that I think profited um, from the COVID shutdown uh, with due for release a year ago. It's grown since then in reputation. Um, people have been people who had seen it early talking about it and then um, man, it accumulated this great interest as time went on, which I don't think would have happened uh, 12 months ago. The interesting fact about her would be if she does indeed win, which um, she is a healthy enough favourite for, I will Paddy Power have her at 11 to 10 on, so at um, reasonably safe, she would become the first British winner um, in this category to not have been nominated um, by BAFTA ever, um, which is an interesting one. Um, now, admittedly, the BAFTA War for Best Actress only existed in its current state from the mid-60s. Before that, it was divided into Best British Actress and Best International Actress. But nonetheless, that really would be an interesting development for yeah. BAFTA. Not what, I, not what I'm particularly angry about. I think it's interesting that there's a set earlier on, they're going that route. But that would be would be an interesting route. Yeah, it's there's other things to look at here is that, is that we wonder do they, what how much they consider your previous record at the Oscars when voting on these, when voting for an Oscar. Viola Davis has won relatively recently. Um, Dormant's in an interesting position. Mm. Uh, Frances McDormand could become the only the second actress to win three best actress Oscars. I make I stress actress because obviously Meryl Streep has won three, but one was best supporting um, in history of the awards. Uh, only um, Catherine Hepburn has managed. And um, that feat, she obviously went on to win four. So the question you're going to ask is, would they be happy with putting Frances McDormand in that company? Mm. <laughs> um, with, with um, I think they probably would. I think on balance, I don't think that they would say that she is. I think she would, they they would say that she was a uh, uh, worthy uh, person to fit into that category, to fit into that bit of trivia whenever trivia questions come along. Yeah. So I think. So I think. I think she, she certainly stands the chance. I think Viola Davis is weakened slightly by two things. Firstly, the fact that, uh, funny enough, actually, this goes back to we're talking about The Godfather, is it's quite a small role yeah. for somebody who's the title character in the film. It doesn't turn up for about 20 minutes in what's quite a short film, uh, and then doesn't have that much dialogue. Also, I think I don't think people are as keen on the film as they as it, it, it was expected they would be um, after it landed to pretty strong reviews. Um, I don't think people have really have really warmed to that film the way people expected that they would. So for those reasons, I would say, I think I would still favour Carrie Mulligan. I think the wind is behind her. The wind is behind the film. I think she's somebody that um, who hasn't won an Oscar before and they would be perfectly happy honouring. I think McDormand is definitely still in it. I think Bella Davis is less likely. Mm. Dave, I'm just, just what, what Donald is saying there about other track records and what other things people take into account. I'm just curious because Frances McDormand is also a producer on Nomadland, which means that if it wins Best Picture, yeah. she'll get an Oscar for that. So do you think that's going to be a factor where people will say, well, actually, do you know what? She's, she has, she has two already. She might be getting another one. So yeah, she's covered. I, again, I, I definitely, I just like wind beneath her wings, Kerry Mulligan. I'm, I'm, I'm finding out as the more I'm talking, the more I'm, I'm on the promising young woman 
coming in from the side and absolutely shocking people because I just feel like that's the year they may try to spread it. But Andrew Day, although she has the classic Oscar thing of a average movie raised up by one single performance, like literally she carries yeah. that movie yeah. the whole way, like that's all the way. Renee Zellweger winning for Judy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's um, and so that to, that's the only kind of as I said possibility. But then if it's all if it's if Kerry Mulligan does a wing and that happens, then I'm then I get giddy and go, oh, that means they're going to give Nancy Roman the best picture. So I'm just I always overthink it. But um, yeah. at the moment, it's Kerry Mulligan. But Andrew Day has that. Like I said that fil- film is average at best, fascinating but average. But she literally, she should be only name on the credits, just carrying the whole movie. It's yeah, yeah. So that to me is deserving of it. So I wouldn't be disappointed or shocked. But at the moment, for me, Kerry Mulligan, this promising woman vibe. Is definitely, I just think about timing and stuff, and it's just starting to get all publicity, and you'll suddenly start seeing interviews and stuff appearing everywhere over the next. And young Hollywood seem to absolutely love it. And they're yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've been added in, so yeah, it's an interesting, but it's a tough category. But they, those two, I you know, France to say Francis McDormand is a dark horse is ridiculous. But I would go with the other two being kind of head to head with Kerry, slightly head. Um, we've got three categories to talk about two are going to be quite quick I, I suspect best director I mean barring any huge shocks it looks like we're going to have the second ever best female director for Chloe Zhao for Nomadland I think that's fair enough and uh, I mean the biggest surprise to me was Thomas Vinterberg landing here but actually it's not a huge surprise because they've gone for uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky recently for Cold War and you know Fernando Moraes for City of God so there's a bit of a, a tradition there what I do want to spend a little bit of time on before you go to best picture is best animated film because obviously this is where Irish interest lies uh, five nominees but obviously it was acknowledged that really it's a two horse race uh, between Disney Plus's Soul and uh, Cartoon Saloon's Wolf Walkers Tom Moore was on the podcast a few weeks ago and he very diplomatically said that he was a huge fan of Soul um, I thought the Annie nominations might split them but they both got exactly the same number and Wolf Walkers have been picking up critics awards and soul then won the golden globe so donald i suspect cartoon saloon are going to be in for a long night they are i mean this is their best chance yet um they this is their fourth nomination third nomination for tom moore um uh, after getting in for secret of kells and song of the sea uh this is their best chance yet i think for me because it's their best film um others may disagree but I, I i thought this was their best film so far i thought the script was terrific i thought it was very funny um i thought it rattled along at a great pace had a really nice sort of you know um folk horror feel to it there's something of which finder <laughs> general woven in there um with all the mythology um it also let's be frank about it uh, doesn't the competition isn't furious um, apart from Soul. Um, I'm delighted to see Sean the Sheep movie Farmageddon get in, <laughs> which, I, which I think was probably the um, the biggest surprise in that list. Um, Onward is okay. Um, Over the Moon I haven't seen, I must confess. Um, but uh, that's cre- creeping up on the rail. Um, so it is a two-horse race. Now, the bad news is I think Soul is probably still the favourite. Um, mm-hmm. It has been the situation with this award that time and time again that the um, I think the only you know film from way outside the um, the Hollywood conversation uh, was probably Spirited Away um, to win animated feature, um, at, which were about whatever it was twenty years ago. So let's have a look. I mean, yeah, if you look, I mean, if you look at the list, it's Shrek, then Spirited Away. 
um, uh, then Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Walsh and Gromit, uh, Crushed the Werewolf at one, but even then they were owned by what DreamWorks at that stage, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of the big studios, uh, Happy Feet, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3, Rango, Brave, Frozen, Big Hero 6, Inside Out, Zootopia, Coco, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, interesting one last year, but still a film from a big Hollywood studio, Toy Story for winning so i'm afraid the runes really do suggest that ultimately what happens with this competition a lot of the time is there's a lot of conversation about the japanese film a lot of conversation about small british or in this case small irish film whatever it might be and then they go and vote for the big you know the big mm. element in the room um i think they do have definitely have a chance they definitely have a chance no question about that don't get me wrong um i think there's there a, a strong second place currently but i would I, I would think ultimately the most likely thing that's going to happen is that they're going to do what they always do and just search the big film um currently to go back to my my tip makers my put on my my fedora hat and start doing my tiktok <laughs> um paddy power have for example i'm afraid to say break it too gently and this and should say that Paddy Power often give unfair odds, I should say, sorry, to um to home uh, home competitions, but they've got Soul at six to one on, so they've got a strong wow. favorite, and Wolf Wolf Walkers at five to one. I think five to one is actually not a bad bet. That's a very generous bet, yeah. I, I would say that. I mean, given oh, the hang on at lunchtime. Yeah, I mean, given, given what I've just said, I mean, um, I think it is probably more likely that Soul would win. I don't think it's six to one on. No, and also, also, what I'd say about this is that this is Apple's first opportunity to win an Oscar as well. I mean, they're, I mean, they, they are the backers of. Uh, of Wolf Walkers, and they will see this as a as a real opportunity to to push their to push their team ahead. Dave, what do you, what where are you on this? Oh, this is this is the I always said never vote with your hearts because you'll get one wrong. Um, but I I will break the rule because it's funny you say Spirit Away because this felt like a Studio Ghibli movie. It is without doubt the best cartoon saloon film. Yes, I thought it was sensational, and with all that. I'm going against the favourites, <laughs> heading to the bookies after this, um, because I I just got to believe that the best movie, because while Soul was amazing and beautiful, it felt like another Pixar movie, and I, that it's, it's, that's because, because Pixar is so good, you kind of go, you need to be really good. Um, I'm going to say Wolf Walkers. Just another one on this. I'm fascinated that the Crudes didn't get in. The Crudes too, in the sense yeah. that mm-hmm. it's been the biggest, like it's been in the top uh, five in the US in cinema, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, cinema these days, for the last 15, 16 weeks, which is unbelievable. And I'm kind of, how that didn't, whoever was in charge of trying to get that nominated, whether they thought they were in, that to me was a shocker. Um, because that's that would have been the other big kind of, well, I suppose animated has been getting a bit weird in recent years, but um. Yeah, I'm going to just go against all my normal instincts of it's Wolf Walkers all the way, not because I'm Irish, of course it is. Um, but it, <laughs> I think it's the best movie in there, Wolf Walkers for me. Okay, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed uh, for Wolf Walkers. Finally, then, we come to Best Picture, and I suppose way out in front, um, as it has been for a long time, is Nomadland. So, Donald, I suppose my question is can anything beat Nomadland to Best Picture? Yes. Um, uh, I, I I don't think it's one of the, uh, well at this stage we'll see how things firm up when we get kind of you know DGA and all those sorts of things um, coming along I certainly think it's a favourite I think no question about that um, uh, I think now this is a weird one because like we're sort of going against all the kind of predictors here but I think Minari is not completely out of it, despite the fact that going against everything I said about 10 minutes ago, it doesn't have an editing award. <laughs> um, 
I think there's a great feeling behind that film. So I don't think that is that is completely out of it. Um, I don't think Promising Young Woman is completely out of it either. And to uh, and if we are kind of like playing around with kind of you know with um uh, with the uh, with you know which which has all the things you need to win. I mean that does have um, an editing nomination. It also has a writing nomination, as a directing nomination. So I think you have to sort of say that Promising Young Woman, and also given the great momentum behind it, is also not out of it. But I think Nomadland. <laughs> Uh, there's also another danger I would say about this is that uh, again going with tradition is not always, a, not always a great idea but the films that have been the early favourite very early on have invariably not gone the distance mm-hmm. um, you know I mean even down to something like La La Land which was which was the favourite even after the result was read out <laughs> it was a favourite right up until the point was read out. and then after the result was read out and still didn't make it because <laughs> you know two minutes later it was taken away from it and handed to, to Moonlight well, rightly in my regard but but uh, nonetheless so, so it is often the case that a kind of fatigue sets in. Also, there's a notion with favourites. People sort of think, like, well, it's going to win anyway. So, you know, well, I'll give my number one preference to, to something else. And you know, I'll give my number one preference to Sound of Metal or, you know, Manker, yeah. Trial of the Chicago 7. But ultimately, I think it has, there is a great affection for it. I think an important point to make is that, again, is that I don't think it would have any chance of winning at all 15 years ago. I mean, it's hard to say what would it be competing against, but if we imagine all these films existed 15 years ago, um, we now have a younger electorate in the Academy. We have a more international electorate in the Academy, all those things. I think for those reasons, um, a, a film like that has a better chance, despite the fact it's actually about, about someone in their 60s, but it's um, it's a more kind of gritty, more um, uh, original uh, film than traditionally has won the Oscars in the boring years. And I think the new electorate, younger, more international electorate, will be feel amenable towards Nomadland. Then again, that kind of electorate might feel more amenable towards Minari. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are several ways of looking at that. But I think it's probably reasonably safe, Nomadland. Um, but yes, for the reasons that I've just mentioned, there are, there are ways of talking yourself into another winner. Yeah. Dave, who would you like to win and who do you think will win? Oh, uh, I again, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm splitting because again, I, Chloe Zhao is going to get director in, in my head. So, I think it's going to split. You know, it's going to be one gets one and one gets. One. So I'm, as I've said before, I'm all on the promising young woman train, and it's not stopping. And I just think <laughs> um, momentum, and I, I just feel they're going to go. They're just going to like sell this. When you talk about Netflix, are going to be confused because they've so many things to sell. They're going to confuse everybody. The studios with less to do, like the the Apple argument. Users with less titles can focus more, and I think it is sometimes down to trade ads and you know, simple stuff that we don't normally see. But um, so I'm going to say Promising Young Woman. Um, I would love Judas and the Black Messiah to win. I thought it was you know an astonishing movie. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's yeah. I just think that Chicago Seven could just oh, upset everybody. Um, but no, I'm going to stick my neck out and go Promising Young Woman. Um, with Clojure winning director, so it kind of a split of the um, kind of sharing the spoil. Um, well, Dave, you'll have to get into Paddy Power, and then uh, sometime after April twenty fifth, we'll need to get together and uh, compare our scorecards. <laughs> I'd like to point out I'll have changed every one of these predictions in the next month because I'll be watching the, the everything, everything else. 
Uh, Donald, David, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. That's all from this week's episode and from this season of the podcast. We're very grateful for your support throughout lockdown and the past year, and we very much look forward to seeing you back at the IFI very soon. Thanks for listening. The IFI podcast is produced by the Irish Film Institute. The Irish Film Institute is principally funded by the Arts Council. The IFI is a charity. For more information on how to support its work, visit ifi.ie forward slash support.